You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. You know, most of the time, what we're trying to do is use passages of Scripture that are specifically written for prayer, specifically written to meditate on and pray back to God, like the Psalms. We looked at passages in Isaiah, and sometimes we have looked at other New Testament passages that were in epistles, they're, they're letters written to give us a certain theology, but the theology is very imaginative like we looked at in Ephesians and Colossians 3, and then we recently have looked at Jesus' words in John, are very imaginative, very poetic, very picturesque in John 10, John 15, John 17. Sometimes you're reading the Bible, and you're not necessarily looking for a time of finding some scripture to pray. You're just reading your Bible, and one such place you might be reading is in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 3, we see a story where Peter and John heal a man who, it says, has been lame from birth. He's been paralyzed from birth. This is one of these stories that you can tell has the signs of somebody's memory, probably Peter's and John's, uh, who told Luke, who wrote this. And you can see the signs of memory in the details of actual time, what they were doing, and location, And so you have specifics in chapter 3 that just start off the bat that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It says at 3 in the afternoon. So you get a specific time. And then it talks about where this man was that had been paralyzed from birth. It says he was, was carried to the temple gate, a specific gate called Beautiful. And so you have these details of this story and you get to verse 8 where after they healed him, after they took hold of this man and healed him, it says that he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And the people recognized him, it says, as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple. So you can, you've been at places, perhaps you've been to other countries or you've been to cities, and there's sort of a person who has that sidewalk staked out every day. That's where they beg. And it was like that 2,000 years ago here at the temple in Jerusalem. This man who had been paralyzed all his life had staked out a place. He was carried every day to this gate called Beautiful, and there he would beg uh, because that was his source of income. And everybody recognized him as that guy. But suddenly, all of a sudden, his uh, legs and ankles, it says, became strong, and he's walking and he's jumping and he's leaping, it says, and and praising God. And the people saw this as that's the guy that's been there for years. All his life he'd been paralyzed, and now he is strong and leaping. And it says they were filled with wonder and amazement, and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, these are all details that you can look at, say, um, you know, from archaeology, a model of the ancient temple, and you can see Solomon's Colonnades. It's these big columns, this whole row, whole row of columns that you can see that's exactly where this took place. And so, again, 
the Bible's giving us specifying locations, naming names of, of gates, and giving us the time of day this happened. And so these are these are the kinds of details that don't necessarily advance the story, really. There's nothing uh, specifically important about this being at three in the afternoon. There's nothing really specifically important to the narrative. This, this was at the specific gate called Beautiful. And there's really nothing specifically important in the narrative that all of this conversation that Peter's getting ready to have with these people took place at Solomon's Colonnade. But when you do look at the archaeological models of this area, exactly where it says this took place, it is a huge courtyard. It's a huge place that you can see where thousands of people could gather in this place. And so you can envision this encounter or this this incident very easily. And like the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, what, what we have here is the pattern. So Luke does this in the Gospel of Luke, and now he's doing this in Acts as well, where a miracle is described, and then what that miracle is followed up with is some sort of teaching on what is promised, what's the theology, what's the lesson that, is, that this miracle demonstrates, that this miracle is a picture of. So the miracle of healing this guy who'd been paralyzed all his life, and now he's walking with them into the temple courts, into the presence of God, and walking and jumping and praising God, and everyone's filled with wonder. And, and that's, a, that's obviously a, a very picturesque symbol, a sign. These are called signs and wonders in the Bible, and it's a sign of the kingdom of God. It's a sign of the restoration that all the people of God will have when we have a resurrection, when we are restored. Every miracle of Jesus was a sign of what our condition is now. We are blind. We are unable to hear. We're unable to walk. We're unable to see. And when Jesus did the miracles of restoration, these are signs of what the kingdom of God is going to be like when we have a resurrection on a restored earth. And the kind of difference that takes place between now and then will be just like somebody who'd been blind all their lives and now they see, somebody who'd been paralyzed all their lives and now they walk, walking and leaping and jumping and praising God in the presence of God in his, in his temple, symbolic of the presence of God. And so you have Peter now who's going to give a message because everybody's amazed at what they just saw. So it gives Peter an opportunity to say something. And in the course of him talking about Jesus, this is someone, the God of Isaac, Jacob, the God of your fathers, has, has glorified Jesus, Pilate. Uh, you had, he handed him over to Pilate to be killed. And it says in, in verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one. Uh, verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter and John say, we are witnesses of this. Again, you just want to slow down and make sure you're aware of what you're reading. You're reading a 2,000-year-old document written by the band of the apostles who were witnesses of Jesus' miracles and witnesses of his resurrection. This miracle is one done by Peter and John. This is after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. This is in Acts chapter 3. So this is Peter and John doing the miracles that Jesus could do as a sign that they too were speaking the very words of God. And it's Peter and John and Matthew and other apostles that are the authors of the New Testament or someone who is authoring it on their behalf as, as, as their memories are taken down on paper like we have here in Acts. 
the, the miracle is a sign of what Peter and John are saying they were witnesses of. They were witnesses of Jesus having been killed, but having raised from the dead. Peter says the same thing in First Peter, that we are witnesses of these things. John says the same thing. We tell you what we've seen, what we've heard with our eyes. And so it's important to realize that when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading the credible witness, you're reading the documents of credible witnesses. All of them died eventually for this witness. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't stop witnessing of Jesus's resurrection and miracles. So eventually people like Peter were crucified upside down. And so these are, these are powerful witnesses because they had nothing to gain and they ended up losing their lives for it. And of course they did have something to gain and that is the kingdom of God, but not in earthly terms. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, it does prove he is, as Peter and John said, the author of life. What a title, the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. And they go on to say that it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The faith that comes through him. We don't conjure up faith on our own. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And so this is one of the reasons why Christianity spread so fast in the first decades of Christianity, so that by you know 15 years after the life of Jesus, you have we have in archaeology a Roman edict where the emperor kicked out Jews from Rome. Why did he kick the Jews out of Rome? Because it says that they were arguing over someone named Christus, Christ. And so uh, you already have by 15 years after Jesus' resurrection, all the way in Rome, this incident, the, the Christians are, are talking, Jewish Christians are, ta- are witnessing of the Messiah and the other non-believing Jews are arguing with them, and the emperor ended up kicking all the Jews out of Rome. So Christianity has spread far and wide in just 15 years. And the reason why it spread far and wide in 15 years is because of miracles like this on the part of the apostles. And so this gives Peter an opportunity to talk. And he says a few things, but you're reading along here and you read this story and it, it, it's a cool story, but you start noticing that there's some stuff in here that starts to resonate with you. Like that phrase, the author of life, God raised him from the dead. If God raised him from the dead, that proves he is indeed the author of life. It gives Peter a chance to talk and he's saying all this and he eventually says in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In the NIV, it just simply says that times may, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. But actually in the Greek, it says that times of refreshing may come from the face of the Lord. The English Standard Version translates that from the presence of the Lord. But it's literally the face of God, the face of the Lord, that times of refreshing would come from the face of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, the Christ, it says in the Greek. Greek Christ is just, I mean, we get Christ, and that's uh, from the Greek Christos, and that's just a translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which meant the coming, true, eternal, perfect human king, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. I like the ESV, the way it says it. The time may come for the restoration of all things. 
And that is an accurate translation of the Greek. The Greek says the restoration of all things, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, we just stop right here. And if we pay attention, if we slow down and we think about what we're reading, suddenly we realize we're on a passage of Scripture that is highly illustrative. It has a lot of imaginative word pictures in it. Word pictures of the restoration of all things. Word pictures of repenting and turning to God and having our sins wiped out and times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the face of the Lord. And we start to realize there's some stuff here we can think about. We've said before that word repent. A lot of times we've our culture has painted that word negatively so that it becomes completely undesirable to us. But the biblical idea of repent has a picture of God's open arms. It's the idea, it's a very gracious word. It just simply says, turn back. You're, you've wandered off, and this wandering off is going to be a place of desolation and exile for you, but you can turn back. You can come back to me. So that's why Peter says, repent then and turn. You turn around, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That word in the Greek just means you know wiped out, blotted out, totally gotten rid of. Now, a lot of times we think that the gospel is believing in Jesus so that our sins can be forgiven, and when we die, we'll go to heaven. Now, that's not what we're reading here, although the words do sound like that. If we're not careful, we can read these words and somehow we just unconsciously fit them into this false cultural narrative that has sort of distorted the gospel. But if we pay attention, that's not the gospel that Peter's saying. The gospel that Peter is saying here is that he says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, totally gotten rid of, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That would be times now, but the real thing is that, and that he may send the Messiah, the King Jesus. When, when someone read that word Messiah, or heard that word, they didn't read it, they heard it, the Christ, the King, the Messiah, they clearly understood what's being said here, and that is that if you align yourself with this King, if you submit to this King, you can have your sins wiped out. You can have times of refreshing now. But the big thing is this, verse 21, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. This has always been the story of the Bible. The Bible's always been one epic story of Jesus, about Jesus and about the restoration of all things that this king, this perfect human king, is going to usher back in when he returns and takes back what was lost in Genesis 3, takes back Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that we are created in God's image so that we can rule over God's creation, that we can reflect the glory of God, reflect the love of God, created in the image of God, so that we can continue the creation of God over the earth. This is an incredible place that God created us to inhabit because being made in the image of God was ancient language for being a king. And the king was thought to be the image of the gods. But the Hebrew scripture is saying that every human being is the image of the one God. And we are all kings or queens. We are all royalty, princes, princesses, kings, queens. 
and that this is the promise of a Messiah, that in him we become kings and queens, princes and princesses. We become rulers with him when he restores all things as was promised long ago in the, by the holy prophets in the holy scriptures. In the Old Testament is what Peter's talking about in this case. And of course, that 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 narrative continues all the way through the very last book of the New Testament. Lots of language here to think about when we think about the bigger life that our life is in, that we would think vertically, that my life is in this time where I have, re, I have times of refreshing now from the presence of God, from the face of God. That's what we're doing in these times when we read God's word and we pray scripture back to God. We are looking for God, the face of God, to give us a time of refreshing. That word in the Greek literally means to catch our breath. We're just looking to catch our breath until the restoration of all things. This life is hard. We're running the race, fighting the good fight of faith, and it's not easy. And we just need times where we can catch our breath from the face of God, catch our breath from the presence of God, which is what we're doing in these times. There's a lot here, and I think that these are kind of the times where when you read passages like this, I think it's worth your while to slow down and think about what you're reading. The miracle is a picture of the restoration that is talked about afterwards. Repent, turn to God. He has open arms. He's allowing you to come back to him so that you can have your sins completely wiped out, that you can catch your breath from the presence of God, the face of God now while you run this race, while you fight the good fight of faith, while you finish the course, because the Messiah, the true, perfect, eternal human king is coming and you can align yourself with him and be a part of God restoring all things as he promised long ago. All right, so we would have a time if you were going to read this and you wanted to have a time of prayer. What I do sometimes when I'm reading this and I wasn't necessarily expecting to pray, I just sort of break out and I just start saying a quick prayer. I don't have to make it a big deal. Uh, I'm not going to do some big benediction or something like that. I'm just going to say a few things that align my heart in prayer to God. I want to draw near to him and have a time of refreshing from the face of God, the face of the Lord, as I draw near to him in prayer through the scriptures written by the Holy Spirit. And something happens in my heart when I do that. Something happens in my soul. There's a time of refreshing. I catch my breath and have my soul lifted up in a way that uh, is is going to give me a drawing near to God, but also remind me to think vertically that I'm in a larger story. I'm in a bigger story. Everything in my life is part of this story that is leading to healing in my life, everything in my life being restored, everything in this world being restored, the restoration of all things. Let me just lead you in a time of quick prayer here. Would you pray with me? Oh, God. I thank you for this promise, this promise from long ago, thousands of years ago, written through the holy prophets, written by prophets who were inspired to speak by your Holy Spirit, these promises. These are ancient, ancient promises because this is an ancient story that you are writing in this world. And I give thanks to you that in some way, you have given me through Jesus' name a faith that comes through him. A faith that comes through Jesus and that will heal me. 
that allows me to turn to you, to turn from my sin, to turn from trying to justify my own life and all the ways I try to make my own life important, to turn from all the ways that I try to meet my insecurities by self-importance, self-will, trying to justify myself. I can just let go. I can just drop it and take a deep breath and catch my breath from the presence of the Lord and remind myself that you are the one, you are the author of life. You are the I am. It's Jesus's name as the I am that is the author of life. You are the source of all existence and you are the giver of all life and you have authored all life and you have authored faith in me. I don't know how, I don't understand it, but I thank you that you have given me faith so that I can repent of my sin, that I can turn to you and that I can call upon you right now and receive a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, from the face of God, that I can just catch my breath right now. And by your Holy Spirit, remind myself that I am in your presence, that you are here with me right now, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, that you are my Father who sees in secret. Even when I go into my innermost closet You are my Father who sees in secret. You hear in secret. You are with me. The God of the universe is the I am, and so you are infinite, and you are 100% present as the I am, always in the present tense. You are always present with me 100%, and because you are infinite, you are not any less present anywhere else in the entire universe, but you are 100% present with me. And so I give thanks to you that in your presence right now before the face of God that I can catch my breath and remember that you are the author of life, Jesus. You are the giver of life. You died so that my sins can be completely wiped out, 100% completely erased. Imagine that. Every sin I have ever committed Every sin in my heart, every sin in my thoughts, every sin in my actions, every sin of non-action, completely erased, completely wiped out like a chalkboard. You take the eraser and you completely erase it and then you get water and you wipe it on there and you make it even cleaner so it's completely absent. There's no chalk. There's no sin. My sin is completely wiped out. Every single one of them because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Every single one of them because Jesus rose from the dead completely new to life to give me a completely clean new beginning one day in the restoration of all things. And I will have a resurrection just like Jesus, a body without sin, a body incapable of sin, a body raised in power, a body raised in glory, a body raised to be animated all the time by your Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was when he lived on earth. This is what you have promised in your Holy Scriptures long ago, and you have already done it. You have already put it in play. The restoration of all things has already started with the resurrection of Jesus' body. Jesus' body is the first of this restoration of all things. It's already begun. A new creation has already started. And so I give thanks to you for the faith that you give me by the power of Jesus' name, by the power of Jesus' 
name in my life as the author of life. He has authored life in me, not just physically, but authored spiritual life in me so that I'm even praying to you right now, that I want to pray to you right now, that I'm turning to you, God, right now and looking to you as a time of refreshing from the face of God because Jesus has authored faith in me. And I know I have a lot of doubt and I know I have a lot of unbelief. And yet I know that this is a process of transforming glory, just like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one degree of glory to another, we're being transformed as we contemplate the glory of the Lord, which is what we do now. Being transformed into a greater glory, a time of refreshing now from your presence, having my sins completely wiped out. As I bow to Jesus as my Christ, as my King, as my Messiah, you are the Messiah, Jesus, and I align myself with you. I want to put on your jersey. I want to put on your name. I want to wear your name. I want to bear your name in holiness, in humility, in faithfulness, in love, in joy, in kindness to others, in self-control. I want to bear your name faithfully because your name is the author of life and you are the Messiah who's going to come from heaven and bring heaven with him, bring heaven with you to this earth. And when heaven comes back to earth, by the power of heaven, by the power of your name, you're going to restore all things and give me a resurrection on a resurrected earth along with all the people of God, a new humanity centered on the person of Jesus, the Messiah of Jesus, and we are a royal priesthood. We are those who have been risen in royalty in the true image of God and we represent all creation to you and represent you to all creation as part of your original vision in Genesis chapter 1, the sixth day, verses 26 through 28, restored in Jesus, the true image of God, the true son of God, the true son of man, the true human king. This is where I'm putting my faith. This is where I'm putting my trust. This is where I'm putting my nickel down. I want to go all in. I take everything in my life as a pot and a poker hand, and I put it all in. I'm all in. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is my King. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the one who has authored life in me, faith in me. And I experience now a time of refreshing from the face of God, but I will wait for heaven to return with Jesus as he restores all things and restores me. And this is the story my life is in. This is my hope. I submit to you, Jesus. This is my life because you have authored faith in me. And I pray to you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.